Welcome to the Victorian Parent Council VPC Parent Podcast Series. VPC is a registered charity organisation dedicated to everyone who support parents in educating their children. I'm Jackie Vanderveld, your host today. So good evening, everybody. My name is Jackie Vanderveld. Uh, it's my great pleasure again to be hosting this VPC Live. If you have not seen Michelle before in any of our VPC Live chats, Michelle Mitchell is an award-winning speaker and best-selling parenting author. She has been termed the teenage expert by the media and is sought after for her compassionate and grounded advice for parenting tweens and teens. Uh, Michelle started her career as a teacher and soon discovered a special interest in well-being. She left teaching in 2000 to found the youth to found Youth Excel, a boutique health promotion charity which delivers tailored made life skills programs and psychological services to thousands of young people and their families. And today she uses her experience and expertise to write and speak in schools, community events, and through the media. And so and we're going to post Michelle's <laughs> we're going to post Michelle's uh, website um, along with the uh, the notes, etc. I'll pop that in the chat so people have got that. So Michelle, welcome. Thanks for having me again. I feel like part of the family here every time I catch up. So we haven't spoken since last year, but yeah. So what's what's new? What's new? I know you've got some news. What's new? I've been writing a book for almost two years and it's been a big job, but I have poured my heart and soul into it. So I have a book for parents of preteens coming that I'm so excited about because, you know, when you've... (laughs) I've overinvested. I completely am overinvested in this book and I'm I'm really ready to get that message out to the world. So I'm really looking forward to that one. Um, and so that that'll be the second half of this year, kicking that over the line and, and getting it on bookshop shelves. Nice. That's that's awesome. And I think if you've ever seen any of Michelle's books, they're extremely practical and uh, the sort of books that you can dip in and out of. You don't have to read it all in one hit, although you can, but they're, they're good to dip in and out of. So, folks, we're going to tonight be talking, uh, having an honest and practical chat about anxiety. So, Michelle, we've yes. all been talking about anxiety. I know this came up in our chats across last year as well. But what are you noticing regarding anxiety and kids in general? I'm noticing it's on every referral form that I've ever seen passed through a school. Like it's the word on everybody's lips, which does concern me a bit. Sometimes I wonder if we're really talking about more worry or concern rather than anxiety, but it seems to be one of those words we are using a lot at the moment. I think deep in people's hearts, though, there is this feeling that all is not right with the world. And I'm not just talking about our kids. I'm talking about us as adults, the normal rhythms that we used to experience have gone. And I was actually talking to this um, about this with my husband the other day because we're just talking about flu season came and then it went and you you sort of had this predictable rhythm with it and some of those predictable w- rhythms which you know gave uh, worry concern anxiety a bit of ebb and flow they're just not there at the moment yeah. um, so I think a lot of it is is really understandable given the context that we've been in I think you're right. And I think one thing that um, we know is that anxiety can have a clinical diagnosis as well. And, and that, and there are certainly some symptoms that parents might see that would indicate that it could be the case, but it's something that you, you really, you know, general worry, general stress. It's the, it's when it's prolonged. <laughs> that's right. probably. And sometimes the we can 
go through seasons of poor mental health that are completely normal. And that diagnosis of anxiety or that that word we are using a lot more loosely than probably um, it has been used in a pathological sense um, previously, it's just become part of our everyday language. You know what I'd like to do right up front, Jacqueline, is just refer people to two people that I think are anxiety experts that have this topic nailed to the point where they're my go-to people. And the two people are Karen Young. She has an internationally acclaimed blog, best writers in the whole world, in my opinion. But she frames discussions around anxiety incredibly powerfully. And the other one is Dr. Jodie Robinson, and she's got... Um, a podcast called Well Hello Anxiety. And that podcast is just such a wealth of knowledge. Um, Jodie and I also did a webinar for kids, which is on my website, but 10 tips for kids, you know, to bust through anxiety or anxious days. And so they're two people that I always go to and they are a great resource for parents. Good. So just just talking about our language and I think a lot of what we a lot of our we're feeling anxious right you're saying that things are not right with the world and we're worried we're worried and we're concerned and maybe as parents we're exhibiting anxious behaviors and so on how careful do we need to be with our own language and our own modeling of some of the concerns I think there's two there's two things I can say there Anxiety is so contagious. All emotions are contagious, but we think COVID or the flu is contagious. Anxiety is so much more contagious. Like we catch someone's atmosphere so easily. So when our kids are looking to us for direction, um, we become like really, really important benchmarks for them to know how concerned they should actually be. So when things go wrong or something comes on the news, normally our reaction is the cue for our kids how they rate a, um, you know, a situation or a concern. Look, the other thing I'd like to mention though as well is it's so important that our kids see a full range of emotion and anxiety is a normal, healthy emotion that if our kids never saw that, that would actually do them a huge disservice. They need to know how to feel anxious and work with anxiety the same way they need to know how to feel sad. So being able to model how to work through that emotion well is something that's really important for us. We're not trying to say, um, we're not trying to avoid it. We're not trying to say, I don't feel anxious. But the number one thing I think we need to do is when we're in that space is maybe live out loud a little bit and show our kids how to step through that. And so saying that, you know, how would you, how would you frame it? If so, if you were feeling that anxiety, you were feeling that type of stress, yeah, yeah. How would you how would you approach that that conversation with your children? I know you're you're living the dream. They're a bit older now, but you still got you still got them at home. <laughs> I tell you, just can I share a parenting side story? My son says to me tonight, "What's wrong with you?" Right now, he's twenty. We had a bit of a safety issue at a party a few weeks ago. It was nothing to do with him, but it was still an issue. So, mum is anxious. Okay. So he's telling me he's going to another party on the weekend. I launch into a totally sensible and practical chat about safety. And I'm expecting him to say, I totally understand why you'd be concerned, mum. And he comes at me with, what's wrong with you? 
like seriously, seriously. So their radar for danger and for um, some of this stuff is just not there, Jackie. So we need to help them. So when I'm feeling stressed and my kids are looking at me, the number one thing I want them to learn is that when you are under pressure, the first thing we need to go to is some self-compassion and also looking after ourselves. What I don't want my kids to do is pick up my burden for me and start carrying it around and looking after me. I want them to know that mum is feeling stressed. I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed. I'm gonna go and take a bath for 20 minutes and just collect myself, or I'm gonna go, um, you know, have a moment if you can. I know with young kids, this is stupid advice, but like, if you can go in your room for five minutes and breathe a bit, let your kids know what you're doing and model what it looks like to take care of yourself. And there's like lots of things you can do with that. It can be, I need to get out and have some fresh air and walk the dog. Why don't you come with me? You know? So I think it's almost taking our thoughts and living it out loud so they actually can see us modeling what we'd like them to do for themselves. And just hearing you say that, Michelle, takes me back to that. I love this phrase of yours, turning up with in-charge energy. That is absolutely in-charge energy, even though you're being vulnerable and, and expressing how you're feeling. Uh, it is saying, you know what, this is part of the normal, the normal way of humans, the way we deal with things, and it's okay mm -hmm. Right? And it's actually important to be in charge and take the time out, take the rest, you know, take the bath, go for the walk or mum needs five minutes. I'm just going to I'm going to be sitting in the lounge room on my own for five minutes, five minutes, yeah, five minutes. That's right. To, yeah. To let them know that's what's happening. Yeah. And, and the other part of that as well is simply saying um, this is my my issue to carry, not yours. Yeah. So it's setting boundaries within how you're going to manage your emotions. I always think of it like containers. I want my kids to see me contained within my container. Let's say 90% of the time. I mean, it's not going to be foolproof, but I want them to see some good walls. So they know that I can look after myself. And that brings kids so much security. The moment kids feel like they need to look after us, and they need to step in and have that in-charge energy, then that's a really, really place for a kid to be in. And it doesn't um, give them the stability and security that they need. Exactly. So, Michelle, you talk a lot about that self-compassion, as a using self-compassion as a tool. So what sort of advice do you have for what can kids do? Because, I mean, we often think about kids need to be told, right, Or but we know that they've probably got a lot of this stuff innately anyway. They know what the body knows what to do. But what can they do to actually um, control or decrease anxiety? I think you've tapped into something really important now, and we've talked about the tiny voice as well, haven't we? Yeah. That tiny voice that kids have inside of them that's actually there, like almost compass in life to help guide them. Their body is constantly talking to them. They're hungry, they're full, they've eaten too much sugar, they feel sick. You know, their body is constantly giving them these cues and signals. And I think our job is to help life be still enough sometimes so they can actually feel what their body's telling them that it needs. One question I always ask kids is how can you look after you today? That's not selfish. That's not rude. That's not mean to anybody else. And I want my kids to see me looking after me every day as well. And it's amazing the answers that kids can give you when you ask them that, you know, I need some quiet time coloring on my own. 
you know my body's actually feeling really tired i need to get to bed early there's there's such a lot of wisdom in our kids if we help them slow down and listen to it and that's really you know life skills folks <laughs> life skills knowing knowing i mean how many how many of us have burnt ourselves out you know but we knew looking, but looking back on it we were given all of the signs so and all of the warnings but we we chose to ignore them so you know while we're we're still in this sort of weird half-life of covid not covid covid's over now we've got flu <laughs> um, yeah. you know just be just listening to you know having and listening to your body and what's going on there is is really really critical Becky, do you mind if I add something there? I think when kids are decision fatigued or they're tired, that intuition drops and that's where our in-charge energy comes in and that's where structure comes in because if kids don't have that baseline structure, I mean, they're going to go out of the, the boundaries of that, you know, often, every now and again, but we are sort of like those guardrails or that structure while they are learning to use that intuition. I mean, even I know myself, um, intuitive eating is great, but when I'm tired at the end of the day, I can devour half a block of chocolate, you know, and I know it's not good for me, but it, but it's because I'm decision, decision fatigued because I'm over it. And in those moments of our kids' lives where they can't step up and show that self-compassion, we're actually bringing enough structure around their life that actually helps them form the habit of doing that anyway. And when parents are doing that, explaining why you're doing it so that they understand it's not just mum or dad being, being difficult or overbearing or, you know, or running their life or, or anything like that. You're actually saying, What's you're, wrong with you're you? showing... yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, you need you need you need me to step in, you know, now, and then we can talk about it later and de- debrief when they're when they're uh, they're feeling a bit better. Um, in terms of talking about talking to kids about the relationship between their body and mind, we've 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 sort of touched on it now, but there's some, are there some specific techniques or some conversation yeah. tips that you might be able to give people tonight? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Probably a few things that I could suggest is when kids do feel anxious, we want them to know that that emotion is not going to last forever. In the same way as like a a feeling of joy doesn't last forever either, that we want them to know it has a limited lifespan. It's like a wave. It's going to have a peak and it's going to crash. It is going to come and go. Because for kids, I think when they feel these big emotions, they feel like they're going to be in them forever. Um, one thing that happens with anxiety is we get trapped in our heads. We have these kind of worry loops that we go through and it can be one of those emotions that really confines us in a really unhealthy space in our head. And the thought of being able to move from your head to your body is really powerful. So how do we get out of our head? And I know that even even throughout my parenting in times where I felt stressed as a mother, one of the best things for me has been to actually get out the Nerf guns and play with my kids. Because what it does is it gets me out of my head and into my body. And that's why play is just so powerful for our kids and also for us as adults. Anything that we can do that has some physicality about it, some creativity about it, and some some freedom about it is going to help our kids move from here to here. So after a, a tough day at school, one of the best ways they can look after themselves is just play, play outside and move, move out of their headspace that they're currently in. 
so much of the the pressure of school is, you know, I, I used to say, I think my, my kids, even though they're very good, if they're watching this, they say, we're talking about, you're going to be talking about us again tonight, mum. They're adults now. So, well, probably. <laughs> but one of, the, one of the things I used to sort of feel about them when they would come home was that they'd used up all their good at school, you know, that they'd been sitting there and compliant and doing the right thing and you know both they're both gorgeous people gorgeous adults now so if you're watching gorgeous adults now hi. Um, but they did but they did you know that that stress of of, of complying and being um you know abiding by all of those social norms that are required at school is almost counterintuitive to where they need to be for the physical growth and activity, right? Well, they have a worry list when they come home and it's they, they oftentimes can't actually worry about those things at school. And sometimes those things on their worry list need time, space, and they need a bit of attention. So it's no wonder our kids come home quite anxious. Their day is go, 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 um, conform, conform conform I often think of that gap year when kids are leaving grade 11 and 12 a lot of times that gap year is just a year where they decompress and actually start to think about themselves as a bit more of a whole person instead of just getting through a subject mm-hmm. um, and it used to be you know the gap year was a self-exploratory uh, I don't think it is anymore I see more kids burnt out and sick in that gap year than anything else. And I think they're not getting enough time to really process some of these big decisions that are going on in their lives. Yep, exactly. So that's a, I suppose that's almost a topic for another, another, another chat, I think, is that, um, you know, the year after school, how do you, how do you manage that? So we might, I might add that to your list too for a, for a later date, I think, Michelle. When do we need to seek help? And this is something that comes up all the time. You know, when do we seek help um, and what do we do? Because we know that there are long wait lists now for mental health professionals or, or even doctors that we might be seeking assistance from. So when do we seek help and what do we do while we're waiting for that appointment? Yeah, okay. So can I just come back to the year 11 and 12 topic? Um, Madonna yeah, sure. King has just written a book called L Platers. Yes, and that is particularly <laughs> for parents of that age group. So if there's anyone listening, she just zoom in. In Her research has been brought in. She's about to release that. Okay. Getting help, professional help, is really, really tough at the moment. It's always been tough getting kids to counselling because they're at a time in their life where they don't often want to get shoved in a room and interrogated unless they particularly feel like they're going to be active participants and this is going to be something they can really engage in. But so many of our kids are resistant to that thought, especially our boys. Um, At 14 years old, there's not many boys who want to get put in the room and talk to me, you know, like it's just too much for them. So I think we hold up this idea of getting kids to like it is the answer and I just need us to broaden our understanding of what's going to be helpful I know that we need a medical perspective and I know that psychologists are important and I so value the work that they do but a mental health issue of the magnitude we are facing with young people needs a community approach it works best when parents are working collectively with professionals and also people like sports coaches who see kids every week and get an opportunity just to hedge around and build that self-esteem. 
So I guess my point with that, Jackie, is don't get put off getting on wait lists just because it seems to be six months or eight months away. Just get on anyway. You can always cancel it if you don't need it. So just don't let that deter you. Second thing is, if you've got a long wait list in the meantime, you're going to have to think really holistically and creatively. And the more positives that you can put in a child's life, the more you're tipping the scales in their favor. And that's exactly what we want to do. We want to make sure that the the scales are stacked for them even if it is just holding the fort around their lives. And sometimes that can be introducing a new hobby, buying a pet, um, allowing them to stay at their grandparents' house for a night every month. I don't know. Like it can be as diverse and creative as you want to, but it's just helping boost those positive um, neurochemicals in their brain as much as we can while we're getting them into some professional help. I think too, it's it's about also, you know, you as parents know your children better than anybody else. So, you know, what are, what are their strengths? What are their thing? What are the things that give them, you know, um, energy and purpose? So if it's their friends, you know, making sure that there's there are times for them to be connecting with those good those really good buddies. Uh, if it is family and extended family, like you're saying, you know, na- nana 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 meals and nana hugs right. are always pretty good. You know. And what about things like, uh, you know, if they've got cousins and other extended family, just to spend those, you know, the activities and things that only family does together, you know, they're, they're also critical. Um, and making you know, those regular and routine. So yeah. whether your kid's feeling up, down or somewhere in the middle, it's just mm. a consistent in their life. So getting together once a fortnight or once a week if you can and just making those regular moments so that becomes sort of like a foundation or a baseline that they can bounce on <laughs> and across and something that they can rely on right so if it's part of the it's part of their routine and schedule they know that okay I'm going to be catching up with the cousins this weekend or I'm going to be seeing my uncle or I'm going to be going fishing or I'm going to be doing you know there's something that they know is a regular thing that they enjoy or, or it's something that they don't have to perform at or be whatever it is that they're struggling yeah. to be, you know. <laughs> they can just be themselves and relax, you know. It's, a, it's something it's, to look forward to, isn't it? Like if we all had something to look forward to, tomorrow is going to be that little bit easier. And even if it is every Monday night and they pretend they don't like it, but like you can see a smile on their face. If it stabilizes things a little bit, great. I think there's something to be said, Jackie, too, about looking after each other's kids and just having our homes open enough. I know for my son, one of his mates, mums, always has the boys over to her house and she's a saint, like I couldn't do it the way she does it, but she has like, you know, 12 stinky, smelly teenage boys in her house and she knows their diet requirements. She is always cooking them food. My son comes home and says, mum, she remembers that I don't like lettuce and she has never got it wrong. She doesn't put lettuce on my sandwich and like the, like the, she knows me kind of vibe I tell you what, little things like that go a long way when kids are struggling. And that's something we can do for our friends' mates. Yeah, exactly. And I think what you're saying about the parent, you know, get to know the other parents in your in your network, you know, they're the they're also your lifeline to to do that. Yeah, you know, our place was the stopover point, you know, well, most of um 
most of my son's friends lived, you know, a fair way away from the city and we were a little bit closer. So whenever they would go, when they were allowed to, at the age that they were, they were allowed to go out and do things, we always had our place as the place that they would come back to, you know. And be, I know well, I don't know about that, but we, I wake up in the morning, you're like, you're, you're stepping over, like I leave out enough blankets and pillows and whatever, we're stepping over bodies. But, you know, but it got to be the thing, you know, and then we'd have a big barbecue breakfast happening and they, they the parents knew where they were going to be, you know. Yeah, it was it was the, the so thing good. to do. So if you can do it, that that really does help. Okay, so the and the knowing how well we uh, how well things are at chat, that flow, what happens. I mean, I think when you're knowing about when you're thinking about the how are you chat, what 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 can we do there? I mean, yeah. the check in hey. chat. I mean, don't wait for things yeah. to sort of be going south before you check in. Yeah. Okay, with our little ones. If we do something with them, conversation is definitely going to lead towards them wanting to tell them anything that's on um, on their mind. So uh, the little ones, a direct question at the right time works. You ask a teenager, how are you, directly like that, and you might get a little bit of a roadblock up because it's very confronting. It's like that interrogation kind of question. So you kind of got to be agendaless for a while and you've just got to be interested in them and I, I promise you, when stuff's on their mind, they will let you know if you're near enough for long enough. That's the trick. And I think in busy, we're not often near enough for long enough for our kids to really feel like they've got the opportunity to open their heart up well. Yep, yep, I agree. Um, well, we've got time. We've got time now. <laughs> we've got time now. Anything's taught us the last few years since we've got time, and we should, you know, those uh, beautiful silver linings from COVID were that we were actually making a lot more time for family. So, folks, if you do have questions, please pop them in the Q and A. And the person who just sent me a question, I've just come back to you. I think it was I only got half the question that you might have been typing. I'm not quite sure whether it was a comment, but if you wanted to ask something, please, um, please have another go, um, and we will we will get to that one. So questions that people have sent in when they were registering. How can we support our kids with anxiety interventions if even talking about them makes them makes the child angry? So there, there's a sensitivity to that. And there's often a lot of shame associated with these words as well. It's an exposing type of thing. I, this, is, this is how I've personally worked with kids in that situation as a mentor. So my, I'm not a psychologist. My role has not been a psychologist in kids' lives, but I literally park it and I ooze my love. I humble them with my interest in who they are and I just make it all about where they're at. And when I can really step in and meet them where they're at, um, I hope to be able to lift the shame associated with some of those big feelings. So I don't know if that helps that mum, because I'm sure you are pummeling your child with love and you are right there with them. But um, there is no point in pushing on something that's just a sensitive area for them. And it's normally associated with the shame linked around that or them feeling, um, am I normal? Is, you know, what does it actually mean for me at school? You know, they have all sorts of questions. Will people like me? It's all of that that's linked to sometimes these conversations around, you know, periods of poor mental health. Yeah. And I think what's important too is that we communicate that it's not a deficiency and that you don't have to be the, the diagnosis. Um, 
you know, just because they, there are some symptoms that would indicate uh, anxiety. It's not a, some anxiety can be good, right? Because it can motivate us. Absolutely. It can. It's going, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's those protracted periods of, of that, that can cause the additional stress. Um, but you don't need to be, even if you're feeling that way, it's not a, you don't, it's so individual. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm blah, blah, blah at the end of the day. But it's so individual. So because you're feeling this way doesn't mean that because there's so much information about it doesn't mean you have to, they have to progress to a deeper uh, mental health issue or become even more unwell. It's something that it can be managed and managed well and easily with some simple solutions that we're talking about tonight. It doesn't mean that there's going to be a much deeper problem later on. And I do think, Jackie, if we come back to the very beginning of our conversation about how we use that word anxiety, we might be better off framing it as worried or concerned, worry list or your concerns, because it's the meaning and the association that put with this stuff that actually helps our kids write this negative story where they feel ashamed of who they are. And the thought that big feelings are something that is going to put them in a position where they could be rejected or hurt further. And we'd never want to give our kids the impression. I mean, there's so many people coming out these days and talking about mental health and talking about it not being a deficit. But when you are a 10-year-old and you're starting to feel feelings that you've probably never felt on that extreme before and you're starting to think something's wrong with you, the world sometimes can't put an old head on young shoulders. Yeah, yeah, I know, I agree. The parent has got back to me with the additional question and I uh, just want to try and frame it in a way that we're not sort of exposing some um, uh, personal information there. Are you able to see that that question? Yeah, I can read it, yeah. So I think, I, I look, and, and what we might do is if you're okay with that, the parent who's written that question, we might, um, I think we obviously we do have your uh, email and contact address. So we might get back to you with a more personalised answer to mm. that one. But I do mm. think that we can ask the question, what happens particularly when we've got, par- we've got children who are living across or split between two homes and where the child discloses that uh, there's some, you know, unfortunate, unfortunate things happening or there perhaps has been some emotional and physical abuse happening in the home that they're in they're resident in most of the time and that's obviously causing some a great deal of anxiety what what can that parent do if they're obviously they're obviously concerned for their child yeah well number one always believe them always give the story enough space to be fully heard obviously if it's an issue that has has crossed a line emotional or physical abuse I think sometimes getting outside wisdom as to what to do with that information I think kids always deserve to be offered professional support and there's some places and times where police need to be contacted so I think sometimes we can be so close to a situation we cannot be impartial enough and I think schools are a really good place to talk through the legals of situations like that but obviously the highest and also making sure they're really feeling heard and listened to and understood and that we're not putting them in a place that is unsafe. And I understand um, this parent, it's a really complex situation. I think there's a lot more that we can um, probably give you um, personally, which we will which we will do. And I understand that um, 
you, you've, you've tried everything. I can see, <laughs> see the answers come through. She's tried everything. So we will get back to you with a uh, with a personalised yeah. response and some direction for you um, in term, with, within the scope of the advice that we're able to give. But thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing that because I think that there's, you know, clearly I think there's some real challenges, um, real challenges there that, uh, <laughs> you know, are not necessarily... Um, easy to solve but you know definitely you've got to be you've got to be your child's champion um no two ways about it believe them exactly what michelle was saying um you know and i think you're obviously doing that and you're take, trying to take to get that solved and i think as i read that too um jackie i my response to that in my heart is is complex situations sometimes need really complex answers and they take time to nut out and solve so if, um, this mum's saying I've tried everything and I'm hearing that, but please don't stop trying. And I think hooking you up with the right professional who's going to help you keep trying and keep looking at avenues and options is going to be the best thing. Yep. So we will get back to you on email. Okay. So I promise you that we've got your contact details. So we'll we'll make sure we do that. Uh, okay, so a uh, next question: um, How to help my four-year-old manage his anxiety because it makes him very aggressive? That's what she's. Uh, this parent is saying. I don't, I'm saying it's a she, but it could have been dad that wrote the question. So uh, it makes the child, makes her son or their son, very aggressive. Um, he's not open to discussing. Well, I think it's pretty, pretty challenging to discuss with a four-year-old about these big, big emotions anyway. But um, over to you, boss. What do you think? Yeah, I'm I'm not an expert on the younger ones. So whoever whoever has written that in, I need to disclaimer this answer with that. But what I think one of the key things to communicate to our kids of all ages is that there's no wrong emotion at all. How we express it, our kids will be better at choosing a healthy expression to emotion, but there's no wrong emotion. So I think it's really important that we create enough space for our kids to feel all the things big those feelings are and when kids are four they commit don't they <laughs> I mean you know if they're angry or they're sad or they're, I mean they commit and it's all in and so I think it's really important that we're giving space for that um, and then realizing it's a lifelong journey to know how to express emotion in a healthy productive way because there is a healthy expression for all emotion Good answer. And that applies to the big ones as well as the little ones. <laughs> I have to say, so I'm still getting over the, the bug. <laughs> you know, this time of night I start I start coughing, which is a bit unfortunate. Yeah. Not 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 good on a not good on a webinar. So here's another parent who's talking about uh, separation anxiety when okay. they're dropping one parent when they're dropping from one parent to another parent. Um, so the parents are separated. So we've got this anxiety happening between. Okay. Yeah. So again, little ones are not my primary thing, but one of the things I know that really resonates with me that a lot of professionals talk about is leaving a piece of you with a child when you leave them. So it might be, you know, like a little note. Um, it might be, but letting them know your last words and even them falling, sorry, I'm jumping here Jackie but even them falling asleep in at night when they're in your home you don't even have to be handing them over to mum or dad and leaving but it, it requires them letting go and that feeling of letting go can be a really anxious feeling for a lot of kids it's reassuring them in that moment 
that while you are not there in person, that you are thinking about them, that you are contactable, and that you cannot wait to see them again. And so the, the words you say on drop off and pick up have got to be so reaffirming of your love and your presence, even when you are absent. I know that some mums have written a letter and put it under their kid's pillow because their kids have had trouble falling asleep without them and saying, I want you to know that I'm actually with you all night and I'm going to be dreaming about you. The story and create something beautiful that leaves something in their heart that says it's safe to let go because they're going to be here when I wake up. Yeah, lovely. And I think too, I certainly know with older children who are uh, who do have their mobile phones that there's yeah. a, you know, a, a call me anytime, message me anytime, you know, to the parent who they might be missing or feeling anxious about, yeah. uh, about leaving. So, you know, if you've got those alternatives, all those uh, those things available, you know, that's always always the good one. Um, so again, separation anxiety at school drop-off. <laughs> school drop-off. Yeah. Not wanting to go to school, not wanting yeah. to separate from. No, no, no. Yeah. Exactly. So little, notes, little notes in their lunchbox. Yeah, notes in their lunchbox. I'm thinking about you all day when you're on little lunch. I'm going to set an alarm and I'm going to know that you're on little lunch and I'm going to be thinking about you. I heard this story years ago, but these parents would stop at, say, 2.30 every afternoon and they would have an alarm on their phone, okay? Now, some people hearing this will go, that's really nuts and, like, I'm not religious at all, but this is what this family did, 2.30 on their phone. It would ding. They would stop and pray for their kids every day, just a two-minute prayer, and then keep going with their day. Now, their kids started to hear that ding 2.30 every single day. Mum's thinking about me. And when you're at school, it dings. On the weekend, you hear it ding. It was actually such a, a routine powerful, thing. Oh, so powerful. Mum's thinking of me, you know, and not only that, she's connecting her heart with, you know, God at that moment. But I, I just thought that was beautiful. What would your top strategies be for? I was going to say, but even coming, even coming to events like this tonight, letting them know that you're coming yes. to something like this mm-hmm. so that they know that you're interested in them and wanting to, you know, and wanting to, to find better strategies to, to help them. Yeah. I mean, those, those sorts yeah. of things are really, really important for them to know. Okay, so you're going to read a question out of the chat. Where you go. I just love this question. Mandy, <laughs> I'm loving you. Oh, and the honesty. Listen, listen to this one. What would your top strategies be for primary age children to help them keep calm in the moment? Okay, so they're getting quite panicky and anxious, realizing the emotions will pass and they don't have good strategies for that moment. So there might be some explosions and tears and my eight-year-old can't verbalize it. Can I just say developmentally, you've got it right, Mandy. They can't. It's okay. So later on, but in the moment, he can't. A wall goes up and the anxiety takes over and he feels overwhelmed. You can't do anything in the moment of overwhelm, okay? So you've got to, you've got to keep them safe in the moment of overwhelm, or whatever it be, and then it's only after can you start teaching those building blocks of what to do in that next explosive moment. So you can't mix teaching with sometimes fixing, I mean, sitting in an emotion with a kid. It doesn't fix anything. You can't do it. So she goes on to say, I need a couple of strategies to tell them to do 
big breaths, think positive thoughts. Distractions are not cutting it. You tell a kid who's anxious that breathing is the most powerful tool that they have and that it tells their brain that there's nothing to be afraid of. They normally roll their eyes at you because it is the most effective yet uncaptivating strategy possible, isn't it? I've had kids say to me, I've said to them, what works when you're anxious? And they go, everything but that breathing stuff, you know? (laughs) So it's the box breathing to slow down their breathing. It's the figure eight kind of breathing. There's all sorts of ways. I've seen kids do the little figure eight on their leg under their desk because they're trying to get their breathing back into a rhythm pattern. You know what, Mandy, I would actually say if those things are not cutting it, Outside the moment of emotion, come up with a plan that comes from his innate wisdom. Now, I know this sounds crazy, but I want it to come from an eight-year-old and not an expert who knows everything about anxiety. Come up with one thing that he thinks he can do in that moment that's going to help him, what I call, come down the ladder. So his emotion might be eight out of 10, nine out of 10, seven out of 10, Where is it on the ladder? Get him to tell you. Actually ask him what's going to help come down that ladder one or two notch and lower your expectation. If he moves the needle a little bit, I'd be like to the moon and back excited. Jackie, can I do something unprofessional and go and get something out of my cupboard to show this mum? Would that be okay? Can I just nip just Um, There's these two, Mandy, and they can be a bit of a something they can just look at in their room if they're not ready to talk to you about it but they're called emotionology cards and there's lots of versions of them so they're helping kids identify emotions there's a help card they can bring to you if they really don't know what they're feeling overwhelmed and can't find a name for it but naming emotions is is research proven to help us move through them quicker but these are actually illustrated by a young boy about your son's age. So these are emotions through the eyes of a kid. I love them. So it's emotionology. Aren't they gorgeous? So it's just another way to try and get some language into them. But Mandy, developmentally, there's nothing wrong with that. That's actually pretty bang on. They don't have a huge vocab at that age. Does that help, Mandy? Give me some feedback. And we've got Lynn's question too. Great. Can we we do... But the school refusal thing, uh, can I just say that's all right, um, Lynn. We've actually got a whole session that was that we did with um, Glenn Melvin on uh, on school refusal. That's going to be out soon. So, um, so I think what we might right. do is leave that discussion with him because that's that's his whole work. He does. That's all he does. The school refu- work with work with families mm-hmm. and children on their school refusal. So, I think that's a, a good one for you to watch. So we might. We might sort of end our discussion. Do you want to say one more thing? Go on. Can I just respond to Mandy? Oh, in yes, mo- Mandy. Yes. Yeah. In the moment, Mandy, all they really need to do is hear you validate how big it feels for them because the more they see a big person in their life, and Karen Young talks about this a lot, not, not leaning in and, and validating how they're feeling, the more their brain amps up and goes, you just don't understand how big this is. So that the honest answer of it in the moment the only thing you need to do is create space, safe space for that emotion and don't get too freaked out about it because the quicker you allow space for it, the, the quicker they will move through it. I know we focus so much on behaviour sometimes, but it always comes from our kids' brains and, and we just, just need to let them have a bit of space for it 
and then after it's clear after what can I what can you do one thing next time we're in that moment to come down that ladder yep the next the next best step um it's a good discussion to have after when things are calmed down so look folks yeah. thank you so much for your participation tonight there's never a never a uh, never a chance for us uh ever wondering what we're going to talk about is there michelle <laughs> always managed we, to fill the time always managed to we fill actually the time. do quite well don't we we do folks we do have some uh we do have some, I'll do a little bit of advertising that i've got to put towards the end to the end here um if you would like to get the notifications about the recording for this event previous events and events that are coming up please go to the website and sign for our newsletter for the vpc newsletter the e-news you will get all of the um, information notification of events that are coming up also following us on all of the socials we're all we're out there as well um, there will be a short survey that will be sent out to you and that's really important for us to know how useful you found this um, this webinar but also to asking you to give us some ideas of other topics that you might find uh, interesting and I've got to say that you know we you know, we use that information. We have good chats with the Department of Education about the sorts of topics that are and concerns that parents have. So the information not only tells us what we're doing is useful, but it also helps us then to inform um, the government about the sorts of issues and support that people might, that parents might have. So check out the VPC website, the e-news, the blogs. There's membership options there too. So if you're a member, you're able to see these recordings again. There's on-demand available for you as well. And you're very welcome to get engaged with us as well. So we're always looking for parents um, to uh, spend a bit of time with us because it's, a, it's a, an organisation that's largely made up of volunteers. And lastly, we have... Um, uh, Deanna Dow, who you, some of you may have seen Deanna, is a, Deanna's our study coach um, extraordinaire. She's the, the coach and founder of True Coaching, and she's going to be coming back shortly, um, two weeks' time, to talk to us about 10 different ways students can study for tests and exams. So that's going to be uh, an interesting. She's always extremely practical. I always come away going, gosh, I wish I'd known that way back when. <laughs> It would have helped me enormously. So please join me in thanking Michelle for being with us tonight. Michelle, it's always a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. You're doing wonderful work and it's just a, a pleasure to be here. Okay, thanks everyone. Have a great evening. Bye now. Thank you to our guest speaker. We hope you enjoyed today's topic. Want to know more about this podcast and other VPC podcasts? please visit the VPC website, vicparentscouncil.vic.edu.au and leave a review. We would also welcome you to contact us if you would like to be our guest or if you have a topic around parenting and education. Thank you to Melbourne singer Emma Sidney for her permission to use her soundtrack, Cherish. Until next time, thank you for listening.